I'm Nick. I'm Justin. And I'm Brian. We are the Epic Film Guys. We want to let you know that the fourth annual live stream for The Cure is only a couple weeks away. Every single dollar raised goes to the Cancer Research Institute to help us fight for a future immune to cancer. And once again, donations will be doubled. Join us May 27th through the 31st for 48 hours of content from creators around the world. Please help us spread the word so we can smash our goal of $10,000. Please visit www.livestreamforthecure.com to make an early donation and to learn more about the event. Together, we can make a difference. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to a brand new episode, special release episode of the Epic Film Guys podcast, talking about an anniversary for one of my favorite films of all time. I'm really, really excited to talk about this one. I, of course, am Nick, not joined by Justin, not joined by the sauce. Bitches can't get enough of my stuff. That guy. And you will hear chuckling in the background. We are thrilled, absolutely thrilled once again to be joined by our brother down in Perth. Very, very good friend of the show for years and years and years now. It's amazing to think we've known each other for almost five years at this point. Paul, yeah. how the hell are you, my friend? How dare you? I, wow. Oh. <laughs> All right, then. Walking how away. How dare you be so so cordial and so welcoming? It's a, it's a disgrace. Oh, I'm good. Thank you, Nicholas. Thank you for having me back. It's been a while. Uh, on the main show obviously we're doing our EFG Nick and I sort of looking at each other's favourite films things over on the Patreon feed yes. so it's not like we haven't spoken and we we do fairly regularly but this is uh, an auspicious occasion for uh, what we both agree is a wonderful film so hurrah this is a stark contrast to the EFG Nick and I series of late <laughs> little bit of a little bit of a stark contrast there but you know this would be a perfect entry i believe into either one of of our yep. perspective ends of that series because yeah i i know that's why you're here because i know that this is a film that you absolutely revere just like me a hundred percent and very much enjoyed watching it again and for the first time in 4k ultra high def no justin so someone's going to carry this load but not dolby atmos now you're going to die. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you didn't get to watch it in Dolby Vision. No. Is it Dolby Atmos or Dolby Vision? I don't even know what Dolby is. The Dolby Vision was I think Atmos audio. is the theater. There's a theater, the theater down there that has yeah. like a Dolby Atmos sound system in it. If you guys are playing EFG Bingo, you can start crossing these things out now. That yep. is gorgeous. Holding up my, my 4K disc so no, no, that it's funny. you can see it on the camera. I still have... I still have my DVD oh, copy that of this DVD. movie. Uh, yep. So I, I actually watched this on DVD again, and I haven't watched a movie on DVD in quite some time, even like notwithstanding. So I just never upgraded this to 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 uh, Blu-ray. But I used to own, they used to sell when they did VHS, Paul, this was a double VHS. So it was too long. <laughs> yeah, it was too long. So this was a double VHS. And I remember I worked at a grocery store at the time. and 
I had a crush on a girl at the grocery store and she had never seen it. And I gave her the VHS copy of this movie. And then that was when I bought this DVD because I didn't have a copy of the movie anymore. And I mean, I needed it. (laughs) Absolutely. This is one of those films that everyone should have in their collection. If you're a cinephile, if you love historic epic films and this has got to be right up there absolutely so uh let's why don't we why don't we why don't we why don't we uh we'll work our way through the film we're going to talk obviously about things that we love in the film of which there are many oh god but uh paul since you're since you're the guest here i i make the guests they gotta be the loy sauce uh when they're here and <laughs> you know do all the heavy lifting so that's a lot of come yeah uh tell us if you will <laughs> in your own words maybe what is braveheart all about Bitches can't get enough of my stuff. You're not my dad. I was doing that thing that Wayne always yells at you for doing. Like I was looking for another sound drop on the sound word when you did that. Wait, no, do it again. Hang on. Go ahead. Do it again. Bitches can't get enough of my stuff. (laughs) (laughs) If laugh track gets him every time. Yep. It's a good one. Uh, Braveheart tells the story of William Wallace, a not noble highborn commoner who rises to lead an army in rebellion against the what, invading, what's the word? Occupying English. And up against him is one of the most ruthless kings of the air of, well, any time, Edward Longshanks and his simpering son. And uh, then there's a French princess who had really nothing to do with anything historical, but they wrote her in here because, goddamn, Sophie Moko is hot as fuck. And See, that was my headcanon when I was watching back again as well. I was like, <laughs> I'm pretty sure that they just rewrote that part in the movie just because Mel Gibson wanted to make out with her. <laughs> yeah, Mel Gibson's like, I'm the director, I'm the producer, I'm making this film memorable, and number one option is I must end up with someone really hot, and number two option is winning Academy Awards. We got that straight? Good. She is, yeah, she is gorgeous. Mm. She is indeed. Anyway, so that's that's basically what takes place in this film, and it, it is a matter of, well, supposedly historical fact. If you have any idea of Scottish history, you know how things wind up for poor William, but along the way, he truly lives. Very, very Which not true. every man does. Mm. So I'm, how, I'm the kind of person that, sauce? that does not. Well, I mean, it was the sauce is just going to condemn you. You already know how it is. I want to see a kid get stabbed. I mean, I don't know how that's relevant, get, but okay. See a kid get strangled, at least the body thereof. Exactly. I want to see a kid get strangled. There you go. I found it. <laughs> I don't have these labeled. I just have them as one, two, and three. Loy sauce hates kids. One, two, and three. <laughs> <laughs> <on the support. laughs> So I'm just like, eh. uh, but yeah, so I, I want to point this out from the get go because this is a rabbit hole I went down last night after I watched the movie just because I was like, I haven't refreshed on my Braveheart trivia in a while. So I wanted to just kind of bone up on some of the things that I remembered about the movie and some of the things that I knew about the movie. I don't care how historically not accurate this film is because I don't go to movies for history lessons. That said, it's not even remotely historically accurate in a lot of ways. I mean, the very mm-hmm. the very threadbare kind of important points are mostly the same. William Wallace was actually a person. Uh, there actually was a Battle of Sterling Bridge, but there was no bridge in the movie. <laughs> um, <laughs> they actually did win against a much larger English force in, you know, a, 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 you know, in in the Battle of Sterling. 
Uh, he was defeated at the Battle of Falkirk, and he was drawn and quartered and, like, horribly tortured and executed. Uh, so those are, like, the main, like, historical plot beats in the movie. Like, mm-hmm. uh, well, his wife, the like, the killing of the Lord in that one town because of his wife was also probably true, as far as they know. But Is that right? Okay. As, as far as I know, at least from reading when I was doing some boning up yesterday. But, yeah, uh, Princess Isabel was about nine years old, I think. <laughs> when when William Wallace died, um, Edward III was not William Wallace's son because he was conceived about eight or nine years after William Wallace's death. <laughs> right. And right. Longshanks didn't die simultaneously when, when William Wallace did. Like, yeah, yeah, of course. You know, they take a lot of cinematic license. Mel Gibson defends a lot of it in the DVD commentary of the film, and I would defend it further oh, by saying well, it's a movie. I'm it's not, not a history book. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think it depends with how it purports, like something more recently, like, say, Sully. Yeah. That film where uh, directed by Clint Eastwood, I think it was, where Tom Hanks is plays Sully, the guy who saved everyone, Miracle on the Hudson. Yeah. When that is says this is based on a true story. Yeah. Then they manufacture this ridiculous kind of, oh, they tried to screw into the wall for for doing something when all he was was a hero, but he gets away, he gets out in the end, and you're like, yeah. And then I read about it. It's like, that didn't happen. They're just asking the normal questions that they ask any pilot after an yeah, aviation yeah. disaster It was like just that. a normal a normal, a normal, normal thing, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that really shat me. Because they're like, the whole second half of the film is, oh, are they going to crucify him for something he didn't do? Oh, my God. So that was it's, bullshit. It's not that, dramatic that's enough that me. way, Paul. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, anyway, so, so this yeah. film, however, very different. I think I think when you take it from the from the fact that it was inspired by true events, you know, and I think that's I th- I think that's really all you ever need to take away from it. So I don't really, but that's where I wanted to begin and end with that. I just kind of want to leave it there. It's not a historically accurate film. We get it, mm-hmm. but we accept that you shouldn't go to the movies for history lessons. That's what the internet nowadays, history books, and you know, like you can do research and find out actual things. <laughs> Maybe the History Channel. Maybe. No. Like Vikings. <laughs> yeah. History Channel will just tell you that it was ancient aliens or some shit. But uh, <laughs> uh, we get... So, you know, Loisos is usually so good at doing this with the canon movies and stuff. So I'm going to try my very, very best, very best to, to, to fill his massive manly-ass shoes. But the film, basically... So we get kind of a little prologue in the film. We get a young William... And we get to meet his father. And how does like the whole prologue of the movie play out for you, Paul? Because for good. me, like rewatching it yesterday, I think it, it, especially like emotionally, I think it really sets the stage for pretty much everything that's to come in the film. Where you kind of you learn about the cruelty of Longshanks as a character. You learn about uh, Wallace. You learn about like kind of that little childhood connection he makes with Murrin. And everything. Oh, that's a great, great scene oh, with James Horner's score. We're going to mention man. James Horner's score. What? Uh, I'm going to estimate here a dozen times More in, this, than a dozen. in this particular episode. It's astounding. It's so good that I was trying to sell my fiance on that should be the bit of music that we have playing when we're signing the registry. Like at one particular point, like you have three songs. I said, I want one of these songs. She's just like, it's boring. I don't like it. You know, I don't like scores. And, I, <laughs> and basically at that point, the wedding was hanging on a thread. Oh, so <laughs> come on, thread, Patsy, <laughs> come on. 
So that's how much I love this score. And that's beautiful. They're burying his dad and his brother. And he's obviously even as a whatever year it was, 1290 Scotsman, Scots boy. He's showing a bit of emotion and everyone else is like, yep, they walk off. And she comes running back over with the flower, which he keeps for, well, apparently it was only 23 years or whatever it was, but he looks like he's aged 45 years. I mean, <laughs> I looked it up. He was 39 around about the time this came out. Yeah. And she, Catherine McCormack, was 23. So, uh, you know, he doesn't look like he's 23. Let's put it that way. Catherine McCormack was also really, really fine in this movie. <laughs> She's more a girl next door type than, than Sophie, but still a very attractive woman. Yeah. See, I'm not complaining, man. I like all types, Paul. I'm not picky. <laughs> not in my not in my old age. <laughs> the the, uh, the other smart thing the film does in this prologue sequence is with Robert the Bruce's voiceover. Um, yeah. And as McFadgen is basically saying, this isn't what you'll read in the history books, but history is written by the winners. Yep. And, and so they kind of get themselves the get out of jail clause card right there. I do like that you hear you, you you hear this whole thing from Robert the Bruce's perspective, kind of like it's it's you you hear like little pepperings in uh, of of Robert the Bruce. It just kind of because he's a very important figure in Scottish history as well, because he's the one that you know led like actually won the Battle of Bannockburn, that you know won the independence and everything like that. Mm-hmm. So I I think that that's really really great. I think that that's really awesome that they kind of centered around that i actually like honestly in terms of character performances in the film obviously we'll talk about mel gibson we'll talk about a lot of that but i really love angus mcfaden in that role i really really love his performance in the film every time i watch it like i really love i mean whether it's really super historically accurate or not but i love the conflict like the emotional conflict within the character he clearly like wants to wants to support yeah yeah wants to do what wallace is is striving for like freedom for their people like he really wants to but he's also got all these considerations as a noble that he's got to worry about i really really love the kind of emotional conflict that that character goes through because wallace doesn't necessarily have that wallace is you know when murrin gets killed he immediately goes and like that's his trajectory like you know they they destroy the garrison in the village and then you know they just are at war like with the english and like it's it's just we have to continue to fight 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 no matter what to win our freedom you know so i really i i really love that i really really love the emotional kind of torment that robert the bruce's character goes through in the film yeah and did you know have you seen it? Just out last year, there's kind of this pseudo spin-off sequel that stars him again as Robert the Bruce. Yeah, it's I was reading reviews the of Bruce. it last night. I didn't get a chance to see it yet because it only came out in the UK last year and then it was supposed to come out in the States in April this year. And, okay, right. You know, obviously didn't come out. So I just... it's uh. Yeah, it's pretty average. Let's put it that way. It's it's very low budget. It's, That's what I saw. I guess it's him. I guess it's him kind of homaging or, or really wanting to step back into that character because it's important to him. And, you know, it's nice in a way. It's kind of you have to really detach brain because he looks, of course, like Anders McFadgen some 30 years later or 25 years later. So there's nothing like he is in that. Yeah. I mean, he's meant to be <laughs> sort of the king around the time. That this he had a couple of place. really hard winners. Okay. Yeah, well, a couple of great winners. You want to put it that way. He's not going to get cold anytime soon. Let's put it like let's put it like that. Wow. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's um, you know, it's it's one of those things. I was reading reviews of it last all. night, and all the reviews that I read of it, even the positive reviews, were relatively middling. 
The yeah. negative reviews were relatively middling. It's just kind of one of those. It exists. It's kind of a, like an, a curiosity if you're like a really big fan of Braveheart or like if you're a really big fan of like more about this period of Scottish history or whatever, you know? Yeah. Uh, it's a much better film was the net, the Netflix one with Chris oh, Pine. Outlaw King. Outlaw King's a great movie. Yeah, really enjoyed that one. That's a that's a great companion piece to, to Braveheart and in some ways is is superior, at least in the technical aspects, but um, that's also the product of time. But doesn't have the emotional heft that this film has. Yeah, no, not even close. Yeah. So we get um we get, you know, we go through we meet Uncle Argyle, which I love Uncle Argyle. He's like the briefest role. Um, yeah, Brian Brian, Brian Cox, Cox is that so over. good. I totally forgot it was him. Yeah. I reckon it's been at least at least a decade since I watched this movie again, so it was it was really fun to revisit because I I knew the the big beats and whatever and knew what was coming, but I'd forgotten the intricacies the intricacies until they happened. And then I'm like, oh yeah, oh Brian Cox, that's right, he's in it. Yeah. That kind of thing. It's been quite a while since I revisited this film as well, so I was really interested to see how it was. I mean, I've seen this film when I talked about Gladiator when we did that a couple of weeks ago on the show. Like I talked about probably watching that film a hundred times. I also probably mm-hmm. watched this film like a hundred or more times, like back in the day, because like I owned well Gladiator. I don't know if I ever owned a VHS. This I like I said I owned the double VHS and then I bought the DVD and I'm pretty sure this is another one of those DVDs that I just wore the hell out. Like I adore this movie literally from start to finish. So right there with you. I I just absolutely broke it. But I love Cox's Uncle Argyle and I loved again you know. Teaching him to be a warrior, but like, you know, learn how to use this. You learn how to use yep. your brain first, and then I'll teach you how to fight with a sword. Like, I really, really love that. And would have been nice if he turned up on time for the funeral though. Well, you know. There wasn't any there own. wasn't like, you know, social media or anything back then, Paul. They couldn't <laughs> put a put an obituary in the paper and be like, burial services at such and such time and date. I um I did like. I mean, obviously, he did his traditional bagpipes and outlawed bagpipes funeral later, and I'm thinking, geez, they're really worried the English if they're outlawing bagpipes because the only thing that's going to do is make people scurry for fucking cover, not rebel against you. Yeah. <laughs> also, not historically accurate. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, is, is uh, what I did think it was funny. He turned up late, and then is like, "I'm your uncle Argyle." Okay, thanks Uncle, for being on time. <laughs> that's Good the, of you. That's the best that like you got to think of like back in those days. There was probably yeah those kinds of things where you there was you had family members that you just never saw like ever, mm. and then they just rock up like out of nowhere, be like, yeah, I'm your I'm your brother, or I'm your uncle, or whatever. It's like cool, all right. <laughs> but I don't want to leave. Well, you didn't want your father and brother to die, either, did you? <laughs> <sighs> oh my god, yeah, Brian Cox is great in this. And then we get this scene. So especially the stuff from the English perspective is all the stuff you really have to kind of take with a lot of grain of salt, because again, this whole plot of this whole plot of princess Isabel marrying uh, Prince Edward, like this obviously would have happened after Wallace's death and everything. Although yeah, many years later, like she, and she did end up like they did take a little bit of historical fact from it because she did end up like overthrowing him. Like when he right? was the king, he when he was the king, like he was. A, I mean, you see in the movie, like he's kind of an inept leader. Like he was kind mm-hmm. of an inept king, and she ended up deposing him. And like that was after Edward the Third was born. So Edward the Third was placed on the throne, and said she ended up deposing Edward the Second because I think it was like there was a war started with France, as England did. You know, they've gotten to a war every other year back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> 
and it took the American War of Independence to slap them back into shape. Yeah, so it's you know just one of those <laughs> one of those things. But yeah, like so while it's not necessarily historically accurate that Prince Edward and Princess Isabel were married and you know doing all this kind of stuff during the time of William Wallace, uh, yeah, he was uh, reportedly rumored to have been. A, a homosexual like they didn't know oh, i was gonna ask did you know whether that was true or did they make that up yeah okay. no that was one of those things where i mean th- there's no historical i don't think confirmation of it but there's historical like maybe he was like they don't really necessarily a hundred percent know because he had i don't think the advisors i don't think the person's name was philip but it was some, something else it was like a consort of his that ended up getting exiled from uh from the kingdom or whatever and uh yeah so, so not not thrown out a window then okay no not well i mean that's one way to exile him i mean that's technically <laughs> exiling him from the kingdom right <laughs> if the kingdom ends at way the wall of your castle well, ends, yeah. yes <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, the guy plays edward longshanks uh patrick mcgowan he's very good it's, very very uh, pantomime villain but i i love him in this i, think I love like such that a snarl that he has to his voice yeah oh the contempt that he has for everybody and everything in this film is is palpable and, and very impressive. Yeah, I mean, it's it's as far as if you want to talk about scenery chewing villain performances, kind of, it's got that kind of bent to it. It's funny, we were talking mm-hmm. before we recorded about our Masters of the Universe review that we just did for our canon quarantine, but I almost liken his performance to a kind of a Frank Langella as Skeletor, where he's 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 giving it like... He's giving an amazing performance. He's giving a hell of a performance, but it is absolutely a super, super caricature-ish performance. Like yep. in, in in a villain in a villain kind of sense. Like it's it's like you know. But I I applaud it in that way because I mean it, it really like he's really really a bastard. And like you you filter through like whenever you see other English people in the movie doing the things that they're doing, like when uh, you know the one lord murders his wife and all these different things. It all like you always kind of have Longshanks in your mind. Like he kind of permeates the film in that way, and I really mm-hmm. really love that Gibson was able to do that. Like Gibson's able to, to just make this character so hateable. And McGowan's performance is just so good. It's so deliciously like he relishes being this like nasty bastard of a character. Yep. It's oh. he's King. And that's what Kings are. It's At so good. Him. <laughs> I, um, I also like that. The scene when he decides to re re, bring into play prima nocta it's just the way he says it that should bring the kind of nobles that we want to scotland (laughs) (laughs) Uh, the rapey kind Mm. it's really it's a really kind of gross thing too if you think about it like astounding that this is what they would do to well at least one country they'd subjugated like just yeah no problem the people will be totally cool with this <sighs> yeah and then i mean they sell it really well though because they have the scene where they come back for the they come back for the the wedding and that's kind of the first time you really get to see william wallace's character as he's kind of returning and reintegrating with everybody and i love the scene with hamish with with throwing the stones brendan gleason in this movie is so good i love brendan gleason so much they're all good that's that's the thing i want to really emphasize yeah. we're gonna say that that they're, kind of thing a lot yeah they're all good because this is one of those I was going to say it's 
mostly prevalent in the 80s, and I think a film like Aliens, where the secondary characters, the, the minor characters, feel fleshed out. Yeah. They've got their own personalities, and you can tell who they are from each other. And so, when they die, or when they're put in harm's way, you give a shit. And this film does that well as well. So, you've got Hamish, you've got his dad, who played by James Cosmo, who's a sort of... I couldn't even uh, remember vet- that character's name like the whole way through the movie. I'm like, it's I Hamish's love that character dad. so much. I think it's Campbell. Every time. But is it? Okay. Every time, every battle, he gets badly injured. Every single time. <laughs> every single one. He gets shot in the, like the first one, he gets shot with a bow. He gets hit with an axe in the gut yep. in the, in Falkirk when well, he dies. His hand gets, gets cut the off. hand cut off in, <laughs> at Sterling. That's right. Dude. But he's, they did a remarkable job on his makeup because if you see that guy now, mm-hmm. he looks exactly like that minus, minus the long hair. That's amazing. So, it's astounding, and, and it, this film was nominated for for makeup, and I think it won. So it was one of the Academy that's, Awards. That's took absolutely. Away. I love I, that scene. This scene, he like uh, of course after he gets shot by the arrow, and they're all camped out and whatever. And they you know yeah. pour the <laughs> like he uh, Hamish grabs one guy, and then the, you know you do it, I'll hold him down. You do it, I'll hold him down. because they all know no, as do. soon as they hit him with that poker, he just jumps up and rails the guy. That's right. <laughs> And then uh, Stephen, the Irishman as well. Oh, Stephen. Very memorable. Good fun. Good and Lord's a great pretty scene sure he could get me out of this mess, but he's pretty sure you're fucked. Sorry, you're <laughs> fucked. <laughs> I love... And yeah, it's, it's it's exactly like you said. It, even though you don't get a lot of backstory for a lot of these secondary characters, you get really, really great character actors giving really, really memorable performances. Like, yep. that's how... Like, when you have flat characters, when you're not going to really do a lot of rounding along the along the edges of these characters because ostensibly it's William Wallace's story but you still need to populate William Wallace's world with faces that we remember and people that we remember and like there's a lot of other kind of one-off characters that are less memorable and whose names we never learn but you at least recognize them from scene to scene when they come back it's like oh it's that guy that's right oh it's that guy you know and I really really love that and it really kind of makes the film stick out in your memory like really really well I feel but I was I was mentioning that before because I wanted to talk like that wedding scene, like you have that great wedding scene, you have the great rock throwing thing between he and Hamish, and then Hamish just punches him in the face, which is a uh, a theme through the film. I think he punched him three or four times, yeah, in, like in three the or whole four film, times, including when they were kids. Yeah, it's 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 great. And then you know you have like uh, again to talk about Horner's score. Like all of a sudden, like everything is so lively and and great, but then the noble lord rides in and is like, "I'm taking her with me, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna lay it to her." And then you know the film slows down, the dialogue disappears, and that Horner score comes in. It did. It just becomes this sweeping sadness, just like draped yep. over the film all of a sudden, you know. And then it it completely sells and makes sense why, of course, he's gonna marry Murrin in secret. You know, it just man. Man, that score is- and and the the cuckolded husband is Tommy Flanagan from Sons of Anarchy. So I know you don't watch Sons of Anarchy, but I was like, oh my god, that's him when he looks young, but he's still got the scar on his face. Yeah, and he ultimately dies at Falkirk. He gets an arrow, and you see him fall. So he's he's not in it as much as the others we've mentioned, but he's certainly another recognizable face among his crew who yep. are traveling with him. Yeah, he's it's. I mean, that's like I said, that's the great thing about it is is like I said, it it, it at least slightly rounds the uh rounds the corners on the character so what did you think uh, of of uh Catherine mccormick's performance in the film specifically like were you like and a lot of people and myself included like i liken this 
this this to me like their love story in the film because it's it's almost entirely without dialogue except for like the one scene between them like really like a lot of it is just horner's score and just like the way they're looking at each other and whatever i liken it a lot to what like what disney pixar did in up like with the married life montage and stuff oh uh, yeah like, yep. it doesn't need a lot of dialogue and it doesn't need a lot of anything to sell the love that these two characters have for each other because i mean relatively speaking especially in terms of runtime of this film it's a very brief portion of the film you know and yeah it needs to be the film's already three hours long and and i think the first act of this film is the best act if i had to to break it up the way it sets everything up is astounding yeah. and it is such a an economy of filmmaking we get this stuff where he's a kid early and we get what long shanks is like and we get him coming back and like you say the wedding and the the real sense of the tyranny that they're living under and them falling in love. And I love that. I love that little scene where he's, he's redoing up his house and Murren's dad and I think Hamish's dad come along yep. and they're kind of saying, you're going to come with us to fight. And he's like, no, I'm not here to fight. I'm, I'm here to, to raise a family and farm and, and live off the land. Yeah, yeah. And then the dad says, if you can stick to that, you can court my daughter. But for now, the answer is no. <laughs> no. No. I said, no. Didn't I just prove it? No. Yeah. No. <laughs> I love that scene. And then the the rock throwing thing, which is a feature, and she hits her in the face and she comes out and they run off together and it's and what really sells it is that flower. Yeah, yeah. The flower from when they were kids and he's preserved it and he's kept it and he hands it back to her and like, oh I'm a I'm a cynical bastard, and you know this whole love at first sight bullshit it doesn't fly with me. Grabs that heartstring, doesn't it? That one yeah. heartstring you've got left in there, it grabs it and it yanks <laughs> right on it. <laughs> it's astounding. It's so well yep. put. It's so well written by Randall Wallace. Like he he nails this whole. You totally are behind them as a couple, and so when they get married, it's sweet and it's beautiful. It's amazing, and then when she runs afoul of just happens to be walking around, and that veteran soldier dude takes a liking to her because it's a top-down thing right if my lord can rape whoever he wants then i guess we can too yeah which is disgusting and awful but Ugh. again just what they had to live with and then of course things go from there but the way that that, that said lord just sweeps in and, and deals with her that's just a heart-wrenching moment the film doesn't show you like the outright violence, like with her. Obviously, no. like she gets her throat cut. Like you, you don't see any of it. Like all you see Close is just it on her face. Her reaction, yep. which I think is, I, and I love like there's that shot of her like looking because he's obviously run off to go meet her wherever they're supposed to meet, and she's. I love like her eyes just kind of darting to the horizon, like those shots of just like the empty horizon, like hoping that he'll show up and everything, yeah. and then like like you as an audience like you're in that same kind of frame you're like come on like it's kind of like the conventional like audience thing like you're where you're like please show up like please like you got to show up like you've got to show up here and and stop this from happening and then of course it doesn't and then bam she's down and then i love like one of my favorite things about this movie this is where this is well i don't think this would be it but this would be one of those maybe if i were on the movie journey i would hit that excellent button but <laughs> you know that scene where he rides back into town you know and like they just it's slowly like it's that it's that drum just like that that yep. snare drum or, or whatever is like part of the score with like i don't even know what instruments those are like is it flutes or something like that or whatever Gun the mate. case may be but regardless like you've just got that slow 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 like you can feel like something is going to happen and like you i love gibson especially in this scene like i love him in a lot of the scenes in this movie but especially in this scene like you just see like 
almost begging them like like why did you do this like you know like like that sorrow in his face but like he knows like as a character like he's like gonna snap in like five seconds i said i remember the steely look in his eye yeah he puts his hands out to his side um yeah here we go that yep. dead and cold up. expression yep. like it's just yep. like like they've literally taken everything away from him and he like you see that look in his eye like you just see that he's got nothing left to lose now you they know i've woken the beast yeah and, and, then, and they pay for it how great like and i know i know you are a guy as well who loves your absolutely brutal violence in films so how amazing is it for you when he clubs the guy in the face with the the nunchuck or whatever and then the, the horse gets <laughs> killed and then he grabs that antler piece and jams and it up it through up. the yeah. dude's face oh yep oh and then it's takes good. the sword it, and straight chops the dude's leg off. We're like, yes, fucking kill them all, William Wallace. And then the, the townspeople rise up yep. with Hamish at, at the forefront as well, which is again a wonderful sequence. Hamish's dad gets shot. <laughs> yeah, and I'm sure I'm sure it's nowhere near as as simple as this. In if if we were talking historical fact, but as a synopsis for what probably did happen that he made his decision and he started to fight and people rallied to his cause because he started to win. This is a great encapsulation of that and it's such an effective scene culminating uh, in a wonderful moment when he pushes the the magistrate or whatever he is, the local lord up against the pole and just slits his throat. And now we see the blood. This time you see the violence. That's what I love about that. That it's, It's the perfect kind of juxtaposition of those two scenes side by side like we're not like it, it, it's not about the gore and the violence when we watch Murren die it's, it, we're watching the emotion like that's the emotion of it and now this the emotional payoff is like that blood spilling I yep. love that it's such Gibson makes so many smart smart choices in this film like from a directing standpoint and I mean, I mean we don't we haven't talked a ton about Mel Gibson and this movie is all Mel Gibson basically yep. Yep. which is kind of you know weird to not talk about it but i really feel like once you kind of hit this point now it becomes way more about gibson as well so in terms of just acting where do you rank like gibson's performance as william wallace like are you a fan of it like i know you mentioned he didn't get nominated for an academy award for this nor did anybody else any any of the other actors which is shocking to me no does patrick not get a supporting actor nom i mean i guess uh Kath, uh, Murren's not around for very long, Catherine McCormack. So I understand that. Still very good in, in her limited role. Uh, Princess Isabel, is that her name? Yeah. So Sophie Morco. She's not in it very much either. I guess I kind of understand that. But uh, but yeah, Gibson, and, and I think he is very good. And I, I, I don't know what else was nominated that year. And I, sh- I certainly don't expect him to win for this film. But I would have thought in a film that's being honoured across the board in every other area, just to be snubbed on the acting is, is quite interesting. And it's the funny thing, too, is because it wins for directing. It wins Best yep. Picture, but mm-hmm. it didn't get any acting nominations, which is always one of those kind of weird things in, in, in... And, of course, there's all those Academy politics in there. Well, you know, it's not nominated for this, so we can give other films love and we can give other films their due and whatnot. Like, those are kind of those kind of Academy award politics that always play into that kind of thing but i always find that fascinating when but you you couldn't find a way to nominate any performance not not even nominate let alone win any yeah, performance I'm not in the film. Won, but like you think about we're getting to it now the battle of sterling when he rocks up and he's talking to the lords and he's like no no we're gonna fight where are you going i'm gonna go pick a fight but 
you know, he gives it to them, talks about kissing ass and all the rest of it. And then he comes back and he does his inspirational speech to the troops, you know, including the, the big immortal line, they'll never take our freedom. It's such a magical moment. It's like cinematic history, that, that scene. And again, not nominated, not considered. And even looking at the other the awards, sort of, he wasn't nominated for a Globe or anything like that either. So, I mean, maybe it was a really great year for acting and the other five or six performances well, so- just outstripped him. <laughs> <laughs> I pulled this up. I pulled this up while 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 we while we were talking there. So here's your winning uh, winners for the acting categories this year: Best Actor, Nicolas Cage in Leaving Las Vegas. Really? Yeah, yeah. Best Supporting Actor. I know you'll agree with this one though. Kevin Spacey, Usual Suspects. I mean, he was good in that movie. Yeah, yeah. And but still, yeah. I can't imagine there were four or five other better performances than. Mel Gibson in this. I think he's very, very good. And yeah. if his accent slips occasionally, yeah, you know what? So be it. Let's see. Uh, Anthony Hopkins as uh, Richard Nixon in Nixon. Nixon Richard Dreyfus in Mr. Holland's Opus. Sean Penn in Dead Man Walking. And then Massimo Troisi in Il Postino, The Postman. I haven't seen that one, I so I guess I can't come either, in. Yeah.
live in a world where James Horner's score does not win Best Original Dramatic Score, which we just learned is a thing, at the Oscars? If if Gibson not being nominated is a, a travesty, then this is the worst thing that came out of 1995's Oscar season. That's a It's astounding. I haven't seen... I'm looking at the films here myself. I haven't seen Il Postino, which won from Louis Bakalov, but I have seen Apollo 13, and I haven't seen Sense and Sensibility, and I have seen Nixon. Sorry, John Williams. It ain't a, it ain't a patch on this movie. It's, I mean, the, the, just the emotional investment that the score... I mean, if with a different score, this movie becomes almost a completely different movie. I mean, this movie, I think, is as good as it is and is as emotional as it is because of Horner's score. I'm shocked to know that. I'm really, really shocked to know that. But yeah, I mean, yeah, same thing again with the, with the, with the nomination, no, no nomination, no acting nominations for anybody, especially not for Gibson, which I find, not even to include him in the conversation, I find strange. But then again, like so. we said, but is that? I mean, like I said, we could talk probably forever about Academy politics. But aside from some other uh, technical awards, and then of course it did win Best Cinematography for John Toll, which I mean is very, very well deserved. But yeah, looking down the other films that are nominated there, including Batman Forever. <laughs> I mean, which, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> next month after the live stream for The Cure, next month it's happening. We're doing Batman Forever. I can't wait. I can't wait. Ooh, <laughs> oh my look out! Oh my lord, we're gonna do a full a full retrospective. But yeah, other than other than cinematography and a couple of the other smaller technical awards, you know. I think maybe it's one of those cases where the Academy, it's like, okay, we'll give Braveheart like overall best picture, best director. Cause Mel Gibson, you know, this is his first movie, isn't it? No, I think he directed the man without a face. Oh yes. Man, you're right. Like that. You're yeah, right. Yep. Yeah. You're right. But yeah, his first big film for sure. Yeah. Yeah. The man without a face is the only company, thing that came right? before that. But yeah, I mean, you're yeah. talking like for even just a second picture, like out of the gate for a film to be for a film this epic and like a film with this much i'll say scope to it yeah that's impressive as hell especially for mel gibson who was i mean obviously very well known for his acting at the time you know what a funny thing was as i was reading about this uh earlier last night when i when i watched the film but apparently like in the financing for this film mel gibson and this would have been after lethal weapon 3 so Warner Brothers was 100% going to finance this film, but they wanted Mel Gibson to sign on for another Lethal Weapon sequel, which he refused to do. So, so he, originally he didn't want to do four. Yeah. Okay. So they, 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 Warner Brothers was like, we will pay, we will foot the bill entirely for Braveheart, but you've got to sign on to do another Lethal Weapon sequel. And Gibson said no. So he had to go get other financing from a bunch of the way that it worked out was like one studio did like a third, one studio did like a third. Like he had to get financing from a bunch of different places because he turned that down. And then like I'm thinking about it and it's like Lethal Weapon 4 came out in what, like 1998? So eventually he just came around and did it anyway. So I won my Oscar for a film and director, eh, I'll go back and do the big money for the the action film again. Why not? I mean, I'm listen, I love, we, I, you and I have talked at length on this show. Uh, we did a we whole have. episode uh, about all the Lethal Weapon Go back Weapon and films. check that out. So, uh, the, God, that was well, that was like four years ago. That was ages ago. Was it four or three or four years ago? Yeah. Some, oh, my God. Man. I remember I was off sick that week with whatever 
bug was going around and and I sat there and watched them all. I watched them out of order. I watched like two, then I watched three, then I watched one, then I watched four. Don't ask me why. I just did. I would have just watched two twice and then one and then four. <laughs> Your three is awful. Three is so... As we discussed. <sighs> it's just... Which, you can understand why I didn't want to come back for another one, I guess. I, I, I guess so. But I mean, I guess, you know, the, the price was just right, maybe, or whatever the case was. I don't know necessarily, but... Uh, yeah, I, I just found that I found that strange. It's like Mel, you you literally agreed to do a Lethal Weapon sequel like a couple years after this, <laughs> like, or maybe maybe he just didn't want it tied to that. Maybe he just didn't want it tied to tied to Braveheart or or whatever the whatever the case may be. And we don't know. It was only a second time filmmaker, from what we can best piece together. Maybe it would have come with strings attached. No, yeah, yeah, we'll finance it, but we're gonna oversee this shit. We're gonna, you know, you're gonna yeah. follow our lead type stuff. And he just went, no, no, I'm gonna do this myself. Yeah, maybe he didn't want the the producer the producer kind of control all over the top of it. But anyway, you know, we're diving into politics and Hollywood politics and and production and all this kind of stuff. But the battle if we just mentioned dicks now, then it will be very appropriate. I mean, dick. Dick, 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 dick. There we go. <laughs> he said that he sucked the blood from the penis and put the balls in his mouth. There we go. Now I feel like we're now I feel like we're now really uh, on really on guys. brand here. But yeah, the <laughs> Battle of Sterling, Paul. The Battle of Sterling. Of course, you mentioned the rousing speech, which is amazing. One of the most iconic. Absolutely. But so if if I'll, I'll put, I'm going to put it to you this way, because I know I know we both absolutely love this battle are you a are you do you prefer like visually cinematically do you like this battle more or do you like the battle of falkirk more this one this one okay why yeah uh because it's more bloodthirsty and gory because i (laughs) that is the most paul answer you could have possibly (laughs) given to this question (laughs) honest honest answer and they win you know so it's rousing and uplifting that's that's great and whatever else and obviously they lose falkirk and and robert the bruce's betrayal is is exposed in and that's one thing i do have to query when we get to that part of the movie but uh it's it's just so full-on like Later on in Falkirk, there's a lot faster edits and we're not seeing as much of the gore and the blows landing. Yeah, there's marrows and people and yeah, um, Campbell gets the axe in the chest and whatever else, but mostly it's happening kind of just, you know, bang, bang, knock them over, sword slash down, don't really see the result. Whereas this film, they, they, they show you the carnage, you're right there in amongst it. And it's got this very ed- interesting editing style of the battles here. So in quite a few shots, someone swings really hard at someone else. It's almost like there's a jump, the, the, the quickest jump and then you see the full impact of the blow, which I'd never seen in a film before this one. I think one. they do that. So, I think how they achieve that is they remove like one frame or something mm-hmm. like that. And obviously you're switching between, obviously you're swinging at a real person and you're swinging at a dummy. Like to do, because yeah. I mean, some of the hits, like you get that one shot of like Wallace hitting the dude with like that hammer in the head and like right yep. in the, and the blood just comes spilling down the guy's face and everything. I think it's, I think it, yeah, I think they do that. It's something, I'm pretty sure that's just a, a normal technique or whatever. Or maybe it's like an older Hollywood technique that, that Gibson wanted to use. Yeah, i never, never really seen much of it before or since, yeah. to be honest. It's it really stood out and in a, not in a bad way. And I, and I must admit, it wasn't as jarring on the 4K. And I wonder if they've cleaned it up a little bit. Maybe. I wonder if they've really worked to smooth it over a little. So, yeah, it, it, the, the battle scenes are incredible. The, the, the rush you get out of watching this and I, the, when I say the rush in a way of like thank fuck I'm not there oh, I'd, yeah. I'd have copped it the first arrow that came out of the sky would have skewered me through the eye I'm absolutely positive Skewed I would not make right it to through the, the dick 
Yeah, <laughs> probably that one. <laughs> so, yeah, in a film sense, it's exhilarating and whatever else. I'm obviously not glorifying war or battle. Like, let's bring back swords and axes and get rid of these guns, shall we? Yeah. So, so you gave the most Paul answer of all time. So can you guess why Falkirk is my favorite over Sterling? Because of the emotional weight that yeah. happens It's, at it's the, the end. most Nick yeah. answer that you could possibly give. It's because <laughs> of the tragedy of it and because of the emotional weight of it. Although I do appreciate the fact that they don't shoot both of the battles exactly the same. Because, I mean, well, I'm pretty sure the Battle of Sterling took the longest to shoot, if, if, I'm, if I'm remembering that correctly. It's a longer battle for sure. Yeah. I mean, in terms of time on screen. And so I, I'm pretty sure, you know, just the, the scope of it feels much more grand and everything and I mean, by that point in the film by the time Falkirk comes around in the film there's a far more emotional investment to to the battle and everything and we don't want to just see another battle just for the sake of just throwing another battle in the film so I like that it's different that way and yeah I love I love the tragic elements of it and I love I mean again again Horner's score during this battle like when that arrow hits him like you feel like the absolute just heart-wrenching like heartbreak of this battle well, when oh. the nobles betray him, that's the part that really gets me. Yeah. Not so much Robert the Bruce being on the being right alongside Longshanks, but the no, he waves it and they're winning. It's all working out. The Irishmen have come across to them. I love that scene, by the way. That moment yeah, when they're funny. running at each other and hey, going, good to have you. Nice to have you on board. Yeah, fire the fire arrows. It's all working perfectly because it gives you that sense that you're going to see another yep. kind of thing like Falkirk. It lures you into that kind of false sense, and that's when yep. he waves to the nobles, like you said, and then. Yeah, you're right. That's when Horner's score kicks in, and it's just like mm-hmm. it's just heartbreaking. It's so heartbreaking to just see them walk away. Like, I mean, I don't necessarily know how 100% historically accurate any of that. Oh, it's probably not, but who cares? Is, it's but great entertainment. There, it, it's not like it was. It, it's not like it's not factual either, though, because there were, you know, definitely Scottish nobles that, you know, were, you have. They're, they had a they had a, a, a tie to Scotland and they had a loyalty to their country, but they also wanted to uphold their status, wanted to keep their land and everything, you know. And I mean that's that's just politics in general. That's something that still permeates politics even today. People can be bought, you know, yeah, for sure. So yeah, no, that's why I I love. Oh my god, I love 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 that battle so so much. So we lose half the supporting characters here, at least a, a few of a them, good and bit whatever of them, else yeah. in. And he chases them down and he catches up and, and Longshanks or the, the guard says, you take care of it. Turns out the guy turns around with the visor down as Robert the Bruce and he he's going to get killed, but he screams in anguish and, and Wallace can't bring himself to do it. And they have, and then he gives up like, okay, I'm, I'm lost. If, if this man has also betrayed me, I've got no hope at all. And he languishes, lays back languishing in the grass and it's Wallace that sort of gets him up and gets him on the horse as Stephen, I think, comes along to, yeah, to rescue comes him. Along, yep. Why then, given that whole troop of people who are running and coming towards them saw Robert the Bruce do that, how come he's never punished? How come Longshanks doesn't have him killed at that point? I don't we know. don't see any retribution. I would. I mean, the only guess that I could make is that they're all just kind of infantry. Like, they're all just kind of like common rabble or whatever. And I mean, he's Robert the Bruce. Like, he's in line for the Scottish crown. Like, he like has that nobility over them where he controls people and they don't. That's the only thing I could think of is maybe just because of the class differential of it. Like Longshanks yeah, probably isn't even going to really care necessarily. I don't know. I really you don't reckon. I reckon Longshanks would have gone mental if he knew that yeah, Wallace maybe. was there. Yeah. I th- see. I, oh, I, I, I 
again, Gibson's performance, that's why I, it mystifies me that he wasn't even nominated. Like, I love his performance in that scene because you see how heartbroken he is yeah. as a character. Like, anguish. He, like, immediately, like, the will to fight, like, all that will to fight that he has, it just completely disappears. Like, he just... It, 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 it it's so heartbreaking it's it's so perfect it's such a great yeah. great great scene man ah <sighs> man it is and then from uh, we've also had the, the several attempts from Longshanks to kill wallace and the princess warns him off a couple of times and then they have their their moment in the cabin yeah you know and then we have the, the, nice. the princess's handmaiden who's like into Hamish. One of my one of my favorite one of my favorite <laughs> shots in this movie for no reason is like the first scene when Wallace comes to like meet the princess and she gives her this look like this super thirsty like oh damn kind of look when Wallace <laughs> walks into the tent. It's like the funniest like random shot because she's like this nothing throwaway kind of <laughs> character. Uh, <laughs> I just she's just yeah they talk about him like he's a bit of a. Like their schoolgirls a little bit, like oh, he's so passionate. He stormed and killed because they killed his her wife. <gasps> oh, for the passion, for that kind of passion in my life, and that's the thing. They're they're really contrasting that versus you know she's been saddled with a guy who's who's a homosexual and therefore not into her at all. Yeah, and so by stark contrast, here's a man's man and you know complete with wild hair and a you know a kilt for easy access. <laughs> <laughs> and and it's and it's Mel Gibson, so you know. Yeah. Mel Gibson's a a a sexy sexy man, especially especially back in this you know day and age. Well, I think if it's if you're Gidget Von LaRue, then no matter what era Mel Gibson does it for you. But <laughs> I forget what was it. I think it was on the movie, uh, the fantasy movie draft. I think she was talking. About. <laughs> she got some Mel Gibson thirst, but <laughs> yeah, she does. She do that at that. <laughs> um, so I think the only thing really to move on to at this point, Paul, is the 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 ending of the film. So Wallace gets betrayed by the by the Scottish nobles, which not necessarily a hundred percent again historically accurate, but this did happen historically. He did get betrayed by the Scottish nobles and turned over to the English, and then we get the scene again. You talk about iconic scenes like the the iconic speech before the Battle of Stirling. This is easily right up there along with it. You know he gets drawn and quartered castrated like tortured man just absolutely tortured yeah. and there's a there's two things i wanted to sort of say about that the first is there's a pretty good montage before he he turns himself out well before he goes to meet with the the nobles with under the promise that robert the bruce is gonna you know join with him properly this time and he chooses to believe him because he says well what else are we going to do basically and that pisses Hamish off and Hamish punches him again. <laughs> but, but but leading up to that point is a is a great montage showing sort of him fighting and, and then being gorillas basically and his and legend growing. Little, yeah, yeah. At the same time as Longshanks' health is failing. And it's after they've banged him and the princess, and there's this wonderful sort of dolly shot as she just in one shot is just clearly now buoyed with life and she's kind of walking along like she's totally oh, yeah. into him in love i love that shot and her that's a great little bit of acting physical acting from her and she sort of i don't know if it was deliberate or not but she puts her hands on her belly almost protectively like i see i looked hint. at it i looked at that and I, I love that shot i absolutely agree it's it's a great great bit of acting 
uh, by her. But I, I think it's it's more just like the because if you think about like the, the the shots of them when they're when they're going at it in the in the house, like it's all like it's you see a lot of shots tasteful. of hands touching like that kind of sensual. Yep. Just I think it's more her just mimicking that like sensual touching. I don't okay. think I don't necessarily know if it's I mean, you might be right. I don't know if it's if it's because she was you know thinking she's with child or whatever i i just looked at it as more of a reflection of the 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 love making that they do because it's all that sensual sure. touching like that way too her just kind yep. of taking herself back to that be like mm, yeah mel gibson yeah, hands now, now all she's up a on me yeah. <laughs> <laughs> again so I, anyway with the I horner like score and that whole yep. montage is just just making making oh. a great scene into a fantastic one uh, and then, and then we do get to the torch a bit, and he refuses the the sort of poison or the stuff that will dull his senses. He says, which yeah. I do not understand. Like, whatever, who cares? You know, I might give in. I might, I might beg for mercy. All right, whatever. <laughs> uh, but the way the way that Gibson shoots that scene again, you don't see any violence. Yep, it's all implied and implied very heavily, and then it's all on the crowd who initially are like fuck you and they're all throwing shit at him and i did think oh well gibson really put himself through that because when he's being wheeled out to the to the hacking post whatever you want to call it they're literally flinging lettuces and rotten whatever or bits of whatever and it's hitting him in the head like there's, yeah. there's no fake there's in a that. couple of they shots do- where like the, the one the one shot he like doubles over after something hits him in the stomach like do you think after he yelled cut he was like all right motherfuckers <laughs> who fucking threw that <laughs> That's my headcanon for that. It's like, or maybe it was like, maybe his direction was, okay, I've put you guys through hell on this shoot. Like it's been a long shoot or, or whatever. Or it's been a, like a long, miserable day or whatever the case may be. So yep. you got to really let me have it with these vegetables <laughs> or whatever, you know? It's pretty cool. I have to say, I, I thought he did, again, it was really well put together. But then it's the crowd shots. Because initially, like I said, they're baying for his blood. Yep. And then it actually starts happening and he's not repenting and he's not you know, being given a, a quick merciful he's death. Not showing, he's doing not, all those he's things not pledging him. fealty to, to yep. Longshanks. The king. Yep. And then they start to turn and start to say, mercy. Yeah. No, come on. It's too much mercy. Come on. Yes, so that's it's a bad really fe- when you, effective first, way. First, you hang him, which I'm pretty sure he got hung for real. Uh, I'm pretty sure he did that for real. Really? I'm pretty cool. sure. Because I'm pretty... I, I think I even remember, if you think about, like, the mummy, because Brendan Fraser got hung for real in the mummy. Uh, that was something that he opted. Ac- was that an accident or a real no? Thing? It was a real thing. Yeah, they really did it. They okay. really did it just for the just for the authenticity of it. And I'm pretty sure I remember for some reason talking about that movie where he talked about Mel Gibson doing. It. I'm pretty sure that's real. I'm pretty sure. I mean, obviously they didn't just have him hanging there forever. They would have probably just no. strung him up, get the shot. shot real quick, and then put him back down. But I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure he went for it. I'm pretty, I'm pretty, okay. I'm pretty sure yeah, he did. Got to admire. It. But uh, yeah, then you have him get, you know, you, he gets drawn with the with the with the horses and everything. And and then, you know, like they like, I mean, they're just the castration and all that stuff is just like that's yeah, like it, it just becomes like it's so you you're so emotionally overwhelmed at, at this point. And then the, that's when the crowd turning and, and, and begging for mercy for him is is really amazing. I think, and, and it's 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 kind of where you are as an audience member at this point. Like you're just like I can't see any more of this. Like I don't want to see any more of this. Like it's and you're so emotionally invested in his journey and in like the journey of of Scottish independence and everything in the film. You're just like I I like it's it, it's just it's so heartbreaking to watch this character, but it's also so uplifting. And and when you talk about the audience, I also love that they have Hamish and Stephen in the audience, like in the, reacting yep. to this as well. And 
how uplifting is it though that he still refuses to yield he still refuses to swear any kind of fealty to longshanks because it would be a betrayal of everything he stood for and a betrayal to his people i love that i love it what so man. much as we've established i'm clearly not as big a man and if i was in that position I'd be, give me the poison thank you very much <laughs> But uh, then we get again one more mention of it. Why not? Horner's score oh. swells when he sees when he sees Murum yes. walking, gliding around behind Hamish and Stephen, mm-hmm. and it's you know, and he goes away with her. I mean, literally. Oh. And the, the I, I love the implication because he said, "I know she's been watching over me. Mm-hmm. I know she's with me." Not sure how she would have felt about you banging the princess, but okay. Yeah. Other than that moment, you know, he's got <laughs> needs, man. He's got needs. Uh, I did. That was a really touching moment. I love and that shot to, too. That that the axe comes down and it's it literally it's his down. hand gripping tight on the little cloth thing that she made for him. From and her, then yep. the axe comes down, hand lets it go. And he drops and it. So how good is that fucking iconic? Shit? Oh my god! Again, iconic. How good? Just man. I mean, that's why. I mean, this movie. I mean, we don't normally when we do the anniversary stuff, we don't normally throw scores at it, Paul. But you know my score for this movie. It's ten out of ten. You know I love this movie more than life itself. <laughs> So I, I I can't quite go that far. I can't quite because you're such a, a hard ass. It's a little long in that last act. I think it's I a would little bit definitely agree. indulgent. Uh, and I the thing that probably knocks it down from a ten to a nine by your scale for me is I don't like the fact that at the very end we get a William Wallace voiceover. Why? It should have just stuck with Robert the Bruce. Oh yeah. That really threw me for a loop. Like, uh, you're dead and gone. That's And then we get Robert the Bruce voiceover and we get him going into battle and then we get Scotland's sons and daughters rose up and thrill. Where the Bruce turns around, he looks back at like Stephen's there, Hamish is there, like all the yep. surviving supporting cast is basically uh, still Murren's there. Murren's dad is there. Yeah, Murren's well, dad is there. Yeah. Turns around to him, he's like, you have bled with Wallace, now bleed with me. And just that shot bleed of Hamish me. throwing the claymore. Oh, yep. man. Man alive. This movie is so good. It is. It is. It's a couple of little things, but overall, for me, a nine. If 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 you're allowed, if you're allowed points on there, I it would have a bit more than nine. It would have nine points. Give up. it the shaken nerd, shaken not nerd, nine point six or whatever. Point six. <laughs> <laughs> Greatest film of all time. Oh my lord! So there it is, ladies and gentlemen. That is Mel Gibson's Braveheart, uh, just turning twenty-five years old, which seems impossible to me, but <sighs> does it ever? It's it's so well made. I think that's like the final thing I would say about it is it's so well made. Like it could have been made today. It could have been made, yeah. Like even very very recently. And I and I love you think about it from like a nineteen ninety five perspective. I mean, they definitely did use some, like to, especially with like the horses running into the big spear like pole things that they made to stop the heavy horse charge and everything. Like, you know, they had to have, like, a little bit of, of computer effects and whatnot, but this is almost all shot in camera. Like, this is almost all practical effects and great editing work, great camera work. And that's why it works. That's why it holds that's up. That's why and it's also great. it's a period piece. And so we don't get to have to worry about fashion going out of out of yeah. Vogue and all the rest of it. Like, it, it, it looks like it does. Made for between 65 and 70 million. You have to say it's a pretty stunning achievement. Yeah, for that amount of money, like it looks like a hundred and fifty million dollar film. Yeah, which Mel Gibson, I mean, we—he's great at doing. He did that with Hacksaw, Hacksaw Ridge. Ridge as well, like where that was thirty-five million or something yeah. ridiculous. I mean, it, it's obviously oh. there's obviously a couple of really obvious green screen shots in it. But yes, 
there's, you know, like the majority of that movie, it looks and feels like a much bigger budget war epic because I think he just knows where to spend the money and how to spend the money and how to really get the performances and the work out of his cast and crew that he really wants. Say what you will about Gibson and nobody's defending any of the horrible things that Gibson has said or done. God, no. But, I mean, the man has a great eye as a director like he really can he can give a great acting performance number one he's done it in multiple other films besides this one but also he can direct the hell out of a motion picture easy peas agreed so agreed uh, Paul well what a pleasure thank you so uh, much for having me on to talk such a great film Nicholas I really appreciate it wait hang on I was gonna I, I, I every time I want to play something on the soundboard I can't get to it fast welcome to my world <sighs> I'm gonna. I deserve this. I'm gonna give this to myself. You fucking pile of shit. There it is. <laughs> I I earned that. So as if I mean, again, we've known each other for a good many years now, which is which is crazy yeah. to think of. But it's it's been a, it's 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 been great to know you for that long, and and to continue to know you even even further after this. But well, I was a coming. I was coming over in in very short order to you know would have been basically telling you you had to meet How up. There would have been no you. choice in the matter. <laughs> And then this whole fucking COVID thing hit and destroyed that plan, at least postponed that plan. So, yep. I mean, not to make light of it, of course, uh, it is a horrendous Postpone situation. Postpone your wedding. You all- should be on your honeymoon right now or probably coming back from it or something very soon. Uh, what does it say? Yeah, well, I would have got back yesterday from yeah. my honeymoon. So, that's mm-hmm. that, that even to me is even is even more soul crushing with the whole with the whole pandemic thing. But I know you and Pat's will, you guys will, you guys will get you guys will get there eventually. I mean, it, yeah, unless it, it, unless she trashes Braveheart's score some more, and then you know you're probably going to have to start <laughs> rethinking things or whatever. Yep. There are there are a few other things she could do wrong in the interim, no doubt around film. Uh, I'm, I probably just wouldn't put myself in harm or her in harm's way. Just you know, we'll steer clear of my favorite films and not have you shit on them. <laughs> but as if as if people don't know, because I mean, again, you've been on the show a million times. Paul is also going to be joining us, ladies and gentlemen, for live stream for the Cure. Friday morning, so Friday morning the 29th from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m., I believe. 1 p.m. Three yep, hours. Three hours straight. Poor. Three hours of this guy. sick of me. During the live and stream for the cure. I promise I won't come back until the very end after that, okay? Yeah, and then he's going to come back at the very, very end uh, on Sunday, of course, to help us wrap out the event on the last day, uh, which we're super thrilled. Even last year, we recorded a whole ton of, of different little things because he couldn't be there because he was over in Melbourne last year running a half marathon yeah, or a Sydney, marathon. I can't remember. Sydney doing one. a half marathon, yep. yep, and for a friend's 70th, yeah. So, uh, so I'm very pleased to be here this time around and, and very much looking forward to it. Absolutely. So... Uh, I was getting all the way around to tell the people where they can find you out there on the web. Live stream for The Cure. That's where you can find me. <laughs> but also uh, the countdown. Search for the countdown movie and TV reviews and we'll pop up. And yeah, as you say, everyone, just about everyone will know where to find me uh, who frequents Epic Film Guys because your listeners are the very goddamn best. I mean, I do love our listeners. Most of you. Some of you, some of you not so much. You know who you are. All of all of the <laughs> listeners that that constantly talk, talk, go to Justin and and yell about me complaining about those stupid baby turtle puppets in the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie <laughs> every week somebody else comes out of the woodwork <laughs> every single week and I uh, anyway oh and uh, keep voting the shit ass canon films because that's a lot of fun oh for everyone my too. God. <laughs> 
Uh, we got something special coming up. So by the time you hear this, ladies and gentlemen, this I'm going to drop. I'm going to drop a week from the day we're recording it. So on Sunday, the 24th, uh, I'm going to drop this on the anniversary of this film. 25 years of Braveheart, which, again, seems almost impossible to me. Coming up this Thursday uh, on the show, we got I mean, it's going to be during live stream for the cure. So you're not allowed to listen, you know, unless it's when we're off the air for live stream for the cure. But very, very, very special hashtag canon quarantine review so i'm super 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 well you can't you can't reveal it yet, i know it's a secret you gotta you gotta wait you gotta wait to hear mm, something okay. very special coming up on on the day of but paul uh, again thank you so so much for being here uh you know i very love welcome. you know i love having you on the show and 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 talking films with you go over if you're not a patron of either our show or the countdown join up on patreon and listen to the efg nick and i series which is just this talking about more uh, talking a lot less uh, about our favorite <laughs> yeah, films shorter versions, shorter versions. of all time and you know i try to make paul love musicals with um <laughs> probably not so much success really uh you know <laughs> he's 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 pitched a couple of horror films at me so far so it's, yeah. it's a great uh, with middling results education yeah. for each other i think it's good fun it's always good fun podcasting with you thank you very much sir for having me on again today right back at you with the love and all the very best in the preparation for live stream for a cure can't wait to be back uh talking to you in a couple of weeks danny's gonna spank you with the belt now <laughs> thank you uh, maybe, thank maybe, you so maybe justin will even spank me with the belt well, I mean, a bonus it's definitely gonna happen there's no there's no maybe about it my friend but uh for myself for paul for justin and of course for our absolutely beautiful god of podcasting oh and for Colby Mack, because we love you, Colby. Thank you so much, everybody out there, for listening. Until next time, we will see you at the movies. The movies. The <laughs>